Thanks so much. Um, well, hello. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Jonah. Um, I'm part of the team here at St. Basil's. Um, and it's great to be with you this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at um, John 17. Um, we're in the midst of a series, as Dan said, called The Kingdom of God is Like. I think that's the title we landed on. Um, the issue with this passage is the verse that we're looking at is, uh, Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And you end up sounding like a Californian valley girl if you try and bolt it to the title. It's like, the kingdom of God is like in the midst of you. Um, so we're going to have to try and shoehorn this verse slightly into um, this series. Um, but why don't, we, why don't we turn to John, uh, sorry, not John, Luke 17. Turn, switch on whatever you have at your disposal as a Bible. Um, Lucy, could you come and read for me, please? Um, we are reading uh, Jesus cleanses the ten lepers. So verse 11 to 21. Thanks. Luke 17. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. When then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go away, your faith has made you well. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, brilliant. So what I want to speak about today, um, and slightly feel like that time of worship and Dan and Abby just stole everything that I was going to say, which probably means the Lord's trying to do something, which is exciting. Um, but what I want to speak about today is um, the things that interrupt us, um, that force us into this Christ-like surrender, um, and kind of this surrendering of our conceptions of effectivity and what the world says is good and right are usually the places where we discover the kingdom of God breaking out. That's what I think this verse is saying to us this morning. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And we find this verse sandwiched very deliberately, I think, by the author Luke between a number of stories and parables. So we just heard one of them, which is the ten lepers. And then what follows swiftly after is the story of the persistent widow, which is the way in which we learn to pray from a persistent widow, which would have been shocking to their ears. And then what follows after that is the um, tax collector and the pious Pharisee. And basically, we're told that we should be more like the tax collector than the Pharisee, which would have been another <gasps> moment. And then it goes on to say that we need to be like children. So we're kind of sandwiched between these stories and parables that show us these, alter, kind of these alternative places where the kingdom of God breaks out. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. 
And I just want to look specifically at the 10 lepers story just before we go into what um, the Pharisees ask in Jesus' question. Answer, sorry, not question. Um, So the 10 lepers story is a fascinating one. And for those that don't know, there's this passage in Leviticus that was really strict about um, what you should do if you had a skin condition. Leprosy was kind of this all-encompassing phrase that included a lot of skin conditions. And kind of chapters 13 and 14 in Leviticus outline what the priest should do and the people should do if someone gets a skin condition like leprosy in the community. And what we need to understand when we're reading this story is that this group that Jesus interacts with and is interrupted by are on the edge of the city, right? He's, a, he's entering into this village and they come to him. And these people would have gone through basically this threefold of rejection. So what would have happened was if you got a skin condition, you'd go to the priest in your community and you'd say, look, I've got this condition. What do you think? And basically there would have been two routes. The, the priest would have either said, you're fine, go back to your people. Or he would have said, we're going to have to separate you because this could get bad. And then basically, over a period of 21 days, you'd return every seven days to the priest. And the priest would either say, return to your family and friends, or he'd say, no, this is bad. And then at the end of the 21 or 28, I can't remember the exact detail, but at the end of this cycle, if it didn't get better and it was getting worse, the priest would say, you need to leave. You're rejected. You need to leave the city. You need to be separated from us. And as a nomadic tribe, this makes sense. The law made sense to separate them and try and keep the people clean and from this disease spreading a lot of the time. So where we find Jesus is in the midst of these rejected people. The illness was isolated. There was a sense of rejection. And what these people would have had to have done as they left, it says in Leviticus, is they would have had to have ripped their clothes grown out their hair, and wore a piece of cloth above their lips to try and stop the spread. And then basically this really devastating thing would have had to have happened, really humiliating, that whenever anybody came close to these people, they would have to shout, unclean, unclean. So there's this super humiliating thing where Jesus basically is walking towards them, and we know from this gospel that he's already healed a leper, And the news of this healing has spread like wildfire through the land in Luke 5. And you can imagine what was going through the mind of these lepers, right? They could have probably known that Jesus was the one that had done this healing. So there's this moment as Jesus approaches. And you can imagine this colony, these people who have been rejected systemically. They have this moment where they're like, this could be our moment. This guy could heal us. We could get reintegrated. But in the back of their mind, they've got the Torah, the law, saying you have to shout unclean, unclean, unclean as he comes close. So what do they do? The suspense would have been building, right? And as Jesus comes close, you can imagine, like, should we do it? And then suddenly they break the law and scream, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And there would have been this, like, palpable silence. They would have probably been thinking, will this man that kind of represents the religion that rejected us, will he reject us again? And then this profound thing happens, and it says, Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. And he says, go, show yourselves to the priests. 
that's pretty anticlimactic as a phrase, isn't it? Go show yourselves to the priests. But to them, it wasn't. Go show yourselves to the priests. Well, that means go back to the place of rejection and find acceptance. Go back to the place of hurt and pain, and you will find reintegration. Your family waiting for you. Those that you had to leave behind, you'll be back with them. This place of rejection and pain turns into this place of acceptance and renewal. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And then enter the Pharisees. When's the kingdom of God coming? Jesus would have been like, (laughs) guys, what the heck? Have you not just seen that? Luke, the author, does this so brilliantly, right? We have the Gospels, and they've been written for certain reasons. That's why we have four of them, not just one as an eyewitness account. And this has been constructed so beautifully because we have this stunning story that just pulls us into the reality of the kingdom of God in a surprising place. And then we have these Pharisees that go, so when's the kingdom coming? And Luke's going, come on, do you not get it? Like the kingdom of God is here. And the the Pharisees are asking when, and Jesus is saying where? They're saying, when is it coming? And Jesus is going, flipping, look around you. It's here. He's pointing to places, and they're asking for dates and times. And what we need to realize about the Pharisees is that they were um, a remarkable group of men that basically had this tradition, this oral tradition of handing down the law from generation to generation. And they created this almost razor-sharp accuracy and interpretation of the law. But this accurate interpretation basically developed into this really elaborate legalism that kind of created a ring fence around the Torah that basically meant that people couldn't really engage with the law or the kingdom unless they were a Pharisee and being held to this high bar. So what we find with the question, when will the kingdom of God be here? is this is an extension of that mindset, this approach to life that tries to control the places that the kingdom of God is. And they say, when will it be here? Because they're so busy trying to bring it in. There was a sect in particular that thought that if the whole of the Israelites, nearly knocked it over, obeyed the law, that the Messiah would return. So this is their posture. So when they say when, it comes from this element of control that they're trying to kind of co-opt the law and bring the Messiah and the new kingdom down. But what Jesus is saying is, no, that, that, that ironically, that means you're missing it. It's in the midst of you. The law that you, you think is the thing that is the final thing isn't. I am. I am here. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. I am the one that does the work, not you. So we find ourselves here with the Pharisees saying, when will the kingdom of God arrive? And Jesus is saying, no, it's where. It's present. It's in the midst of you. The action is to behold. The invitation here is to behold. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. 
And as I was reading this, I was really challenged because I don't think this is just an isolated, pharisaical problem, is it? It's the human condition that we all find ourselves in, like Dan was speaking about two weeks ago. We all have situations in our lives where we try to claim ownership and control and have the final say over of them rather than surrendering it back to God and receiving the hopeful nature of the kingdom over them. It might be a family member or a work situation, a friend or maybe even a people group. That was the issue here, right? The Pharisees couldn't stand the, le- the people with leprosy because they represented everything that was unclean about the people. They needed to be separated. So what's happening here? There's this shattering that's taking place, and I think we're invited into this morning, and that shattering is the illusion that the kingdom of God happens in places of success and places of worth that the world tell us. And this story reveals to us that we often miss the kingdom of God because it happens outside of our perceived city walls, the places that we don't think it can happen. And God is working in those places, those places of rejection, pain, and hopelessness. God is working there. And the invitation for us is to be interrupted by those places. Allow ourselves to stop and recognize that Jesus is there like he was with the lepers. The invitation is to mimic the surrender of Christ. Christ surrendered himself for us. He surrendered himself to the Father, ultimately to death. His life was just a story of constant interruptions and surrenderings to the people around him and the places that were often forgotten and rejected. I was reminded as I was doing this of that amazing line in Narnia where Mr. Tumnus says, he'll often drop in, only you mustn't press him. He's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. There's a recovery that we can, we can find in this passage and in this story of a wild God that breaks the illusions of what we think is good and where we think the kingdom is. I just want to land with a really random, but I think quite poetic image. And if you've ever spent any time in a Benedictine or a few other orders monastery, you'll know that these monasteries run on this quite rhythmic system which is basically defined by a bell. So in the monastery, you'll be doing something, reading, walking, trying to convince yourself that you're not bored. And there'll be the bell that will go. And St. Bernard, one of the monastic fathers, said that you need to drop everything. Don't cross your T's, don't dot your I's, drop everything and go to the next thing. And what this monastic bell does for the monks, is it reminds them that their time is not theirs. That their time doesn't belong to them, and that actually their time is given over to the community and to worship of God. And what I want to invite us into this morning is a question. What are the monastic bells in our life that interrupt us? 
that pull us out of the ways that we think the kingdom of God will come and into deeper surrender to God's plans for the world and for the communities around us. And I think there's something explicit in this passage that is unavoidable about the poor and the marginalized. And while we are worshipping, I felt like, although this is vital, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I just want to acknowledge it that it is vital. That there is something about the poor and the marginalized and those that society rejects and systematically forget that actually act as monastic bells for us and our faith that interrupt us with our conceptions of what society should be like and invite us into a kingdom way of thinking. There is that. But there are two places that I just want to land with that I feel like God is wanting to speak to us about this morning. And the first is um, what everyone has been speaking about. So this is just an extension of the message and probably less eloquent. And that is those that have lost hope As we were worshipping, I felt like God was saying that, um, particularly around the song, um, You Are Good, I felt like there were some people in the room that were struggling to even say that over situations. You are good, but I don't really see you there, God. There's this situation, I don't know if I could sing You Are Good over that situation. And I feel like that situation is acting like the lepers in this story to interrupt us, and when we're interrupted by it, we find Jesus waiting there in the place of pain and rejection to meet with us and heal us and be with us, not to forget it, but to have his presence with us. And what I want to say this morning and what I feel like Jesus would want to say is that he's pouring out his spirit on those places this morning. If you're in a place that is hopeless that you feel like is a lost cause and that actually you've surrendered it to just as it is. Jesus is saying, no, I want to pour my spirit on that place. I want to pour my healing balm on that place. And then the other group, which I've been praying about this week and I come with humility to speak about this, is parents, particularly mothers, I am not a parent, and I'm quite obviously not a mother. But the sense that I had as I was preparing was that there's maybe a few, maybe one mother in this room, or parent, father, that is feeling spiritually malnourished, feeling kind of like, is this it? I had these dreams... I had these ideas of what the kingdom of God would be. And parenting is great, but I'm feeling slightly malnourished. And what I want to say this morning and what I feel like Jesus would want to say is it may not feel like it, but the years and days, the sleepless nights, the surrendering of your body to your children, that interruption is holy That interruption is a sacred training ground to invite us into a deeper surrender, the surrender that Jesus shows us ultimately to death for our freedom. The cry of a baby, the outstretched arm asking for more food, the whinge to not go to bed. Those are all holy interruptions 
that invite us into a surrendering of ourself for the other. And in that place, we discover more of the ultimate surrendering, which is Christ's surrendering on the cross. So what I want to say, just to land, is if that's you, if you're feeling spiritually malnourished, and you feel like you need the Holy Spirit to be poured out on you, then I'd love to pray with you. If you're feeling like you've lost hope over situations and places and people, then we'd love to pray with you. Why don't we stand?